Hey, everybody. My name is Sean Pitcher. I am your host of the Roots Podcast. Today, we have on Dr. Corbett Frakes. He is the Assistant Professor and Clinical Educator Coordinator of Athletic Training at the University of Mississippi, or like we like to say, hotty toddy, Ole Miss. Um, me and Corbett worked together when I was there doing a GA position uh, for, I did one year PhD work. Um, so we know each other very well. And I thought it'd be awesome to have him on as our first athletic trainer on the podcast. Welcome. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate you bringing me in, man. It's an honor to be here um, and be a part of this. Absolutely. And I think you're going to be able to give us a lot of great insight, you know, not only about practicing as an athletic trainer in real time, but also with some of your new shifts that you've gone with the professor and educator route too. Um, so I think our viewers and other athletic trainers will be able to get an idea of kind of how to both those realms work. Um, and if they want the opportunity to end up shifting to a role like that, kind of how can we get to that point? Um, but before we start all that, um, you know, we talked kind of before we jumped on here, I think you have a really good story. Can you just tell us who, who is Corbett Franks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I told you before, man, to tell you who I am and to tell you who I am as an athletic trainer really goes back a long way. Um, I usually start this story all the way back in eighth grade. Uh, I was playing football. Um, I grew up, athletics was a huge part of my life. Um, I wasn't the best athlete, but I loved it. Uh, played from, you know, the time I was, I think five years old, I started playing baseball and football and played all the way through. Uh, but when I was in the eighth grade, I rounded the corner and made what I thought was a spectacular block, <laughs> only turned back around to the huddle and realized my arm was dangling. I couldn't feel it at all. Um, just terrible pain in my wrist. Um, so I run to the sideline. Uh, unfortunately, at that point, we had no athletic trainers in my area. We had an EMT that was on the sideline and EMTs are great, but, you know, athletic injuries are not their specialty. He looked at me, looked at the coach, was like, oh, he'll be fine. He's got a bruise, you know, and tried to send me back into the game. Um, fortunately, even as an eighth grader, like I had enough intelligence to know something's not right. I cannot go back into this game. My dad comes down from the stands. He's like, are you sure? Because as soon as you say you can't go, you're done for the day. I'm like, I'm done for the season. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, like, my arm is dangling. Like, what do you want me to do? I can't – I mean, I've seen people – because obviously I played I play football too. I've seen people go on and they're just one-arming it. But the amount of yeah. damage that could occur after that point, it's, it's not worth it. Right, right. And so they take me to the emergency room. Ends up uh, – I snapped my wrist right at the growth plate. Um, they're trying to figure out, you know, do they just reduce the fracture? Do they um, need to do surgery? Um, is my left arm going to be shorter for the rest of my life? Like, they don't know at this point. Fortunately for me, um, they were able to reduce the fracture. It didn't take any, any surgery or anything like that. But um, I think that's the point where I fell in love with athletic injuries. And I wanted – I had a, a goal – to become someone I didn't know who at that point because like I said we didn't have athletic trainers for me to have an example but I wanted to become someone who was there for athletes in their time of need um, as I progressed through high school we still didn't have an athletic trainer but I started um, doing some research and and knew I didn't want to be an orthopedic surgeon uh, surgery didn't really sound up my alley and I really didn't know if I was smart enough for that or not um, <laughs> But I started doing research into sports medicine and physical therapy and athletic training, and I kind of delved into both worlds. Um, 
and realized that athletic training was for me. You know, it, it was, I got to move and shake and be on the field. And um, it was great for my ADD too, because, you know, <laughs> always something new. Uh, I actually went to school my freshman year. I was supposed to play football. Decided, you know what, I'm not going to play football. I'm not going to beat my body up for a few more years and then be kicked out of athletics. Um, I'm going to go become an athletic trainer and I can stay around athletics as long as I want at that point. So I go to this school. They're like, yeah, we have athletic training. I get there. They had one athletic trainer who didn't even (laughs) let shadow him and put me in sports medicine. I mean, sports management. Sorry. Um, So after that year, I went back home to Memphis and kind of took a took a year at University of Memphis, just taking some uh, core classes, so to speak, and and figuring out how to get into an athletic training program. Fortunately, I was able to get into an athletic training program at Union University. At that time, it was a small NAI school, um, but it had a really great academics. So I went there. I invested the next couple of years. I get out thinking I'm going to tackle the world, you know, D1, NFL, something. Um, I was going to be the first one for my program to go to a uh, big school. Um, Well, unfortunately, that last semester, every big school turned me down, said I didn't have enough big school experience coming from a small program. I was going to, you know, be starstruck. I was going to I just I didn't have the connections. I didn't have this. I didn't have that. So after being turned down several places, one, including uh, Ole Miss uh, for graduate assistantship, I, I felt something when I came here um it told me this is where I was supposed to be so I just reached out to some of the football staff and said look I'll come volunteer um I'm tired of getting told I don't have the experience I'll come volunteer for the next year and um just try and get the experience so they said come on you can work football camp so I worked football camp not knowing if I was going to continue working after football camp um well then it was like every week I just kept coming back kept coming back kept working really really hard about halfway through the year, um, they even call me one point. They're like, hey, can you come back early? Uh, so-and-so is getting married, and we have a huge recruiting weekend, and we need an extra set of hands. I'm like, cool, yeah, let's do it. So I come back early after Christmas break and help with a bunch of recruiting events. Um, then they're like, you know what? We might be able to add you on as like an intern next year. Um, I'm like, okay, whatever. I, I just I, At this point, I'm starting to get to where I need a job. Well, then they come back and said, hey, you know what? The AD said we're not going to add any more interns, but we're going to add a full-time position. But unfortunately, because it's full-time, you got to apply like everybody else. Um, So I applied, and um, fortunately, they looked at my uh, resume from the last year, like what I'd done every single day, that job interview of of coming in and tackling every day. And I got hired on full-time as an athletic trainer with track and field here at Ole Miss. And you know, when I was full time, I finished my master's. I started my PhD and finished that. I worked five years with track and field. Um, and then I worked six seasons with soccer. And I think those two sports really, you know, my base of football made me a little bit more aggressive of an athletic trainer um, in the track and field world and in the soccer world than um, I may have been otherwise. My background in track and field, which was just pure craziness, as you know, yeah. <laughs> um, it uh, it allowed me to develop, you know, time management skills. It allowed me to develop a great manual therapy skill set that when I got over to soccer um, really helped me because soccer is kind of like a mashup of football. You know, the 
contact and the um, acute injuries. And then you got all this running. So it's like take football and take cross country and slam it into one. <laughs> that's what I had with soccer. So um, that's, it really molded that's, who I was. Sorry, go ahead. That, that's the great thing about working with multiple sports is just you can take so many components from all those and utilize. I mean, you're not going to utilize everything, but utilize some of those that are going to be transferable over into others. Um, Absolutely. I mean, that was like when I was there, right? Like we, we both know who, who Dr. Melinda is. I mean, one of the big things that she had told me when I first got there, right? She's like, you've got a lot of football experience, right? Like, that's great. Like, I think you need to get other sports experience. So yeah. in that case, it was basketball. It was softball. You know, I worked with golf, you know, just making yourself a well-rounded individual. So when you get into those positions, which I'm, I'm assuming most dietitians want to become a director one day, right? Like that's kind of the ultimate goal is to, to run your program or you run your own program, but you got to know how all these other sports work, how the coaches right. interact, what, you know, what is going on within each sport, right? Like I don't know stuff about golf, but I can go be curious, ask questions, come to practice, or I know a little bit about baseball, but I didn't know stuff about softball. Right. So it's like getting all those different, opportunities to work in those sports made me so much more well-rounded so then it didn't really matter where I went or what coaches I talked to I had skill sets from all those other different sports that all right if this doesn't work and how I use it for football well I use this and this for these two sports let's try that and see if that works with the kids or the coaches or whatever it may be oh I mean 100 percent like now as you know then I transitioned as an ed educator and that was one of my long-term goals because I wanted to help students like I was who you know I took a long way to athletic training I had to kind of like carve it out myself um, I wanted to help these students um, one you know I, I meet with high schoolers all the time to talk about athletic training and help them you know they're like well I'm between PT and AT and I, I help them like kind of navigate that road and then now is teaching on the master's level I take all those experiences from those different sports and I help talk to people when they're like well I don't know what sport I want to work you know telling them that same thing like get the full experience but then also where it helps is you know you said oh I didn't know about this sport um, I think it's a lost art of in the sports medicine realm whether that's PT, AT, RD, strength conditioning like we want to be experts and we are but you know what? Our coaches are experts on that sport. So like I talk to my students about that all the time, like incorporate your coach. Like, yes, we make the final decision on when somebody returns to play. Yes, we make the final decision on if they're in or they're out. But when you're talking about drills and things like that, like lean on your coaches. They're the expert in soccer. They're the expert in track and field or golf or softball. Um, and that's what creates that huge team aspect and that's why I really wanted to be on here today when you introduced me to the Roots podcast is like you focus on that team aspect and you know we say all the time like a team is only as good as their weakest link yeah. well if we want to be the best professional week side then we have to have strong coaches support and we have to have them to lean on to understand what that sport really looks like and you have to be open-minded going into any situation Right. Like, don't don't act, don't act like you you 100 percent know the sport. Right. Like I played football, but like the last school is at IMG Academy. Right. Pretty much everyone there was either a division one or played in the NFL or like knew way more than I did. So yeah. it's just like sit back, listen, see what they have to say. Don't come in there like a bull and, and think you're going to like tell them what to do, because they've got lots of experience also working with lots of other professionals where they have could probably give you insight 
on what's going on at those levels or what those other professionals in sports medicine are doing. Then if you have no clue, but if you come in there closed minded and just think like your way is the only way it's not, it's not going to get the job done. That's correct. Um, but I think a couple of points from what you talked about there, I think one thing is going to be really good for any of the high school athletes. Well, any of the high schools that you go and talk to specifically by athletic training is just your ability to be persistent. Um, I think a lot of times now, just with this, with the generations coming up, you know, you get one denial and all their eggs in one basket. And it's kind of like the end of the world. It's like, well, what do I do now? Right. Where, you know, you had a plan B, you had a plan C, you had a plan D, right. You got a lot of rejection, but you didn't let rejection hold you back. You continue to keep pushing and moving forward and knowing that somewhere down the line, someone's going to take me right. Rather than this person doesn't want me, or this is my dream school. I want to go to, they don't want me. There's nothing else that I can do. Right. So there's always those two different types of mentalities. And I can relate that a lot <laughs> when I got a school at undergrad, right. I, I did get really lucky and got an initial strength and conditioning internship, which I have a dual background in, but I didn't start in sports nutrition for probably two, three more years, because at the time there is literally what you said. You don't have enough experience. You don't have enough experience. You're not from a big school. So it's yep. like, if either of us let that happen, who, who knows where it would be, but we didn't accept that as the only option that's going to be. So it's like, you got to find out what options are out there. What was available. We took advantage of those that led to other opportunities. And now we're in positions that are ideally where we want to be. Is it the best path? Is it the path we wanted? No, but you know, some of these younger generation, you have to understand, like, not everything's going to be undergrad, masters, get a job in the NFL, right, You're probably going to have some obstacles in between that, where it's not going to be the perfect linear straight, straight path going forward. Well, athletics in general is never exactly what you want. You know, you always lose games that you shouldn't, you always win games that you shouldn't, you know, it, it's, you have to have that tenacity about you, you have to have that, um, you know, uh, I'm from Memphis originally and the Grizzlies, they always said the grit and grind, you know, like you got to, uh, to just roll through it, man, take the punches. And um, yeah, I was dead set that I, I had applied to Ohio state, which was an hour from my parents' house. And uh, cause they had moved up to Ohio at the time. And I had applied to the university of Kansas with football. And I thought I was going to get the university of Kansas football internship and didn't um so yeah I could have just stopped there and done what my program director had told me he was like you know there's some high school jobs around here get yourself a year of experience and then re-hit the um the applications but I you know I didn't that wasn't I wasn't trying to be hard-headed but I knew what I wanted and I was gonna try and take every obstacle head on and uh just continue to to bet on myself for lack of a better term yeah, I, I can remember when I was at Pitt State, I was I was applying to everything and anything. I didn't care if it was a director job, an assistant director. Like my mentality was, like I like I just said, someone's gonna say yes. Or if you said no, well, you made a bad decision because yeah. I'm like I'm, and, this, and I mean it may sound like cocky from the individual, but like the fact that you said no motivates me more to prove you wrong that you didn't make the right, right choice because you don't know. In a lot of cases, right? Like I think these big schools sometimes, right? There's tons of other people at D3, D2, NAIA that are excellent practitioners, but just because they don't have that big name 
behind the resume, right? A lot of times I think it stops some programs from bringing those guys in or gals in, but like some of them could be even better than some of the staff that you have on there. So what do you, what do you think in your eyes? Why, why do big schools not choose some of those smaller schools, even though the candidate or the person behind who they are could be terrific at their job? Yeah. You know, having been on both sides now, I think sometimes it's just the idea that uh, there's so much pressure at the bigger levels. That's the biggest difference. You know, I sometimes think about it like this. Like, I would have rather learned my skill set without all the bells and whistles and then adjusted to having the bells and whistles than have had everything and had to adjust down to having nothing. Um, it made me creative with the way that I practiced as an athletic trainer. Um, but the biggest difference, and, you know, I Union was – for Nate AI school – my senior year, I worked with women's basketball and they'd won like four out of five national championships in a row. Um, so the coach was highly regarded in that realm. I mean, he was a tough coach um, and he would put pressure on his players and stuff. But even that pressure of a national championship team didn't even compare to the pressure on like your lower end teams here um i mean there's pressure at every i mean it's not just football pressure not just basketball not just baseball like you go all the way down in division one there's pressure on the rifle coach there's pressure on the golf coaches like the pressure is the biggest difference um but i would tell people just continue to be true to yourself and if that's what you want like you said apply to everyone because somebody eventually will say yes or take a bet on yourself you know go i've known people that um we're in similar conditions. So they went and took, they quit a full-time job to go take a one-year internship. I met a guy several years ago. He quit his D3 football job and took a one-year internship with the Cleveland Browns and got hired on full-time. Um, you know, like if that's what you want, don't back down, take a bet on yourself. Yeah. Sometimes you take a cut and pay, you take a, a title cut, but like, if you think you're going to parlay it into something bigger, then go for it. Yeah. I mean, I had a similar experience there. Went to, when I was at Pitt state in the summer, you know, in comparison from like D2 to D1, right? Like the kids didn't come back to a little bit later for football. So I had just asked the strength coach there, like, Hey, I'm going to go visit some college, like division one colleges in the area, Tulsa, Mizzou, right. Places that were within a, you know, I, for me, I, I put, I'll go anywhere within a four hour radius just to go shadow for a day and visit. And like the yeah. one time we went to Mizzou that led to a three month football sports nutrition intern position. Right. And then that, and then just having that on my resume for three months working with football, op even that little bit amount of time opened up more doors. Did I right. drive three and a half hours there? Yes. <laughs> Was it only for three months and I had to relocate and stay with a coach for three months in an apartment and sit in a cot? Yes. But those are some of the things, even though you may not want to, it's not going to make you money. It's not the sexiest or funnest thing at that time. Like it's just sometimes those opportunities are ones you have to kind of just take hold of and, and get you to project to where you want to go. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, when you're, I've found in my life, I, I think it's becoming a little cliche, but I found it true over in my, in my life over and over again. And some of my friends' lives, um, when you're uncomfortable is when you grow the most, mm -hmm. you know, um, when you're sitting there comfortable and, and good, 
if you really look at it, you're probably not growing that much. Um, but when you're uncomfortable is when you grow the most. Exactly. You got to continue to find ways to challenge yourself. So kind of the next thing I want to roll into is, you know, obviously you're, what is an athletic trainer kind of first and foremost, so that the viewers just get to understand like what, what your job actually entails. Cause I know that from profession to profession, I know sometimes there can be confusion or a lot of overlap in some areas. Um, so let's start there and then we can kind of roll into, you know, how your experience was having that hands-on experience as a actual athletic trainer versus kind of your role on how that shifted now being an actual clinical educator. Yeah. Um, so one of my ways to kind of talk about an athletic trainer can, comes from a, a former boss of mine. Um, he's an executive associate AD here at Ole Miss now. He dubs the athletic trainer as the quarterback of the sports medicine team. Okay. So they're the one that's kind of right there with the team at all, all the time. You know, like you said, when you were an RD here, you were working with, with several different teams. You're kind of bouncing around. Strength coaches work with several teams. Um, the athletic trainer, they're with them, you know, every step of the way. And even if you work with multiple teams, you're still doing uh, pre-practice, post-practice, rehabs. You're the one going to surgery with them. Um, so athletic trainer is kind of uh, the quarterback of the sports medicine team. We're in charge of the athletes overall health and well-being and we have a team of people that we work with that are all equally important um you know some people would look at that and say well the quarterback's the most important no that's not what i'm saying i'm not saying the quarterback's the most important but what i'm saying is we're with them every step of the way we kind of make those calls of getting them to the other members of the team because the other members of the team always don't have direct access to them um so we're in charge of the overall health and well-being athletic trainers go through a very specific uh medical model education now it's at the master's level um it's two full years usually summer fall spring summer fall spring of intense uh, clinical hours and didactic coursework to teach them to, to be the expert in medical emergencies, musculoskeletal injuries. Um, so we're kind of there to really be with the athlete, assess the situation, and decide whether or not it's something that we can deal with in-house or we need to bring in another member of the sports medicine team to help with this injury, illness, whatever it is. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, the, the fact that you're saying that you guys are the quarterback of the team, that, that makes a lot of sense because a lot of times, like, you're almost at the right hip of the coach the majority of the time because you're making a lot of the decisions whether they can play, not play, they're limited, they can do so many let's say football, so many snaps, or they could spend so many minutes on the court or the field, whatever it may be. And a lot of times, right, a lot of that information is coming in from strength to you or the dietitian to you, and then vice versa. Because if you're, let's say, as close to the coach in comparison to some of those other professions, your message may come through a lot clearer than maybe the dietitian or the strength coach. Now, obviously, those dynamics are all going to be different from place to place but I can definitely see where you're, you're coming from with, with that terminology you're using. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it, you know, you may not be at practice that day to give your update to the coach. So you, like you said, you relay it through me uh, or through the athletic trainer. Again, that doesn't make the athletic trainer more important than you. You, you have a very important role. Um, you're equally as important. Um, 
it's just the ability that, that the athletic trainer is at every practice. Um, you know, and I think it's, you know, we're still battling as a profession, getting confused with personal trainers and things like that. But um, we are a healthcare professional, like I said, that goes through intensive coursework on uh, musculoskeletal evaluation, emergency management. Um, and all of our programs are uh, undergo strict accreditation standards. So it is a medical model. Um, and we utilize that uh, clinical experience and didactic coursework to, to put out very qualified healthcare practitioners. And I think that there's a tough thing with social media is, is so many people are getting confused now, right? Like, oh, hey, you're the nutritionist or you have the strength coach. Like you're, and they confuse it for both. Like you're the personal trainer or the strength coach is the personal trainer. It's like, yeah, you, myself, I mean, our programs, and I'm going to be bringing out one of my former professors who's going to kind of go more into the sports nutrition programs to explain that path, but they have also shifted to now having to get their master's. So if you're looking at like us as professionals are having to get more and more education to be able to even keep up to the standard of practice that we have to display and have to be able to do and know to provide the best care essentially to the athlete. Um, right which else universities and, and those organizations are pushing for that to happen. Yeah. I think if you look at it. Um, if you want to continue to sit at the table with other medical professionals, like you have to meet those same standards. Mm -hmm. um, physical therapy is a DPT. Occupational therapy is going, uh, is transitioning to the doctorate route, you know, nurse practitioners are transitioning. So if you want to continue to, sit at the table with the big boys, so to speak, like you better make sure that your profession is doing everything possible um, to stay highly qualified. Absolutely. Can you kind of explain us like, what's the, what's a day in the life of an athletic trainer look like? I know. And I know uh, anyone who's listening has been in athletics, like every day is going to be completely different. You could have the most normal low key day, or you could have the most craziest day and a thousand people are asking you questions, but just, just so everyone kind of gets an insight, like what does it look like for you if, if you were in that position? Yeah, yeah. Like you said, though, I mean, it's, it, it's all over the place. It's crazy. It's different. I used to tell people if I was bored during a soccer game um, from a, I didn't do much that day, that was a really successful day to me. Um, <laughs> anything that's bored, um, that was a really successful day because uh, that means nobody got injured. Um, but no, a typical day for me when I was in the clinical setting, you know, I'd get in somewhere around six or six 30. I would uh, prep my rehabs and treatments. Um, athletes would start coming in, uh, you know, no later than six 45. If they had an eight, eight o'clock class, uh, we would do rehabs in the morning Um Anybody who was on the injury report, I required to come in to morning treatments. Um, that way I could see them, get my hands on them, put my eyes on them, give coach an update before practice. We typically practice somewhere around 10 or 11. Um, so I wanted to be able to see them, get a little gap where I could go down and talk to the coach, give him updates on anybody who's on the injury report. And then we would start pre-practice treatment. So these are people that weren't really injured, but they wanted anything they um, to help prep them for practice. We do that from, you know, nine to 11 taping, all that stuff, practice from like 11 to one, um, come back in, do post-practice treatments, um, typically grab something to eat after that, 
Um, some days we'd have weights after practice. If that was the case, practice didn't go quite as long. Um, and then I would do, you know, paperwork, uh, any prep for the next day until that afternoon. Sometimes in the afternoon we'd have players come back for individuals and stuff like that. So when I was with soccer, my day started a little bit early and finished about five or so. Um, other sports, you know, I might start early and go late. Might do both. Might start a little later. Uh, my favorite days were game days. Um, game days are just fun in general. I'd come in a little bit later. Um, we always did like a, a staff lunch. We'd go somewhere, have lunch, come back in. I'd start setting up the field. And I'd just kind of take my time and enjoy the moment. Um, and that's the biggest thing I'd tell anybody uh, that wants to get into athletic trainer training and wants to become an athletic trainer enjoy the moments like that's what I really tried to do on game day was like enjoy every setup like I didn't try and look at it as a monotonous thing and I'm not trying to be this um hyper positive guy but you never know when your last time of doing that is um in my last season you know I I knew I was finished with my PhD I knew there was a chance that I could be switching to the academic side at some point so I really tried to enjoy all of those moments and take it in because how many people in this world would love the opportunity to work in athletics day in, day out? Like no matter how crazy it is, we really are the lucky ones to get to experience the inside of athletics. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what my day looked like. And again, I, I kind of turned that a little bit, but just to say like, enjoy all those little moments, enjoy those time with your team because um, those are the things that I miss the most and the things that I remember most. And, and that was a key thing I learned from our, our past strength coach where I was at previous to where I am now is come into the building, have a smile on, bring good energy, have good body language, because everything you do is going to directly roll over to the athletes, right? And especially someone like yourself or a strength coach, right? You're around the athletes a lot. You talk to them a lot, you hear a lot, right? So if you're not in a good mood or you're not bringing that sauce like they need, so that way they're going to be in a good mood to go out into the pitch in your case, like that can, in some cases for some athletes, derail them. Like if you're bringing bad energy, well, now they're going to be in a bad mood. Yeah. Now that's going to affect the coach. That's going to affect their teammates. Now it's going to affect their play. And it's, it could be a, a literal domino effect at times. Yeah. You know, I used to make it in every effort to, uh, if I wasn't feeling it that day, like I didn't want it anybody on the outside to know it like just keep that in and it's not to say I mean we're all human like we can all have bad days but I would try and keep uh, a good front on um, just like you said because there can be a, such a domino effect mm -hmm. and then can you can briefly kind of go into your role and how you've transitioned now into a, a clinical educator and how that's been different from obviously being more so hands-on to now kind of hands-off and now teaching in the next generation coming up yeah, man. Um, so it, it is a lot different. Um, you know, I, I first, I think a lot of people when they transition out of athletics and that's become your entire identity, even though like finishing my PhD and getting a faculty position was something I worked for for so long, I kind of, um, I felt like I lost my identity a little bit. Um, but slowly but surely my students have become my team they're the people that i invest in you know in athletics i used to say that my entire job my entire purpose the whole reason i was there because of athletes now my purpose and the reason i'm here 
is for my students. Um, like I said, I had always wanted to be that person that could help them meet their goals, um, teach them from my mistakes, uh, make sure that they didn't have to go through the paths that I went through. Um, so I'm able to do that every day. I'm able to take my clinical skill set, like, like you said earlier, I'm the clinical education coordinator. So I'm able to take my contacts and my skill sets and help put them in um, successful clinical education spots um, to help them become as successful as possible. It's a lot of fun seeing them get these little wins every day is like maybe something's hard for them. Um, and we have a really close tight knit faculty here where like, if I, they're not getting it from me, I'm like, Hey, Heather, can you, um, can you explain this to this person? And maybe she explains it in a different way. And then I get to see that small little win that that student was able to like have that aha moment, you know? Um, I like being able to take my experiences from being a clinical athletic trainer, including the negatives, like the things I messed up on. Cause I'm the type of person that like, I remember my mistakes, not to be so hard on myself, but to make sure that I don't make those same mistakes again. And I take those mistakes and I embed them into the classroom to try and help each of these students avoid those little things. You know, we're always going to make mistakes, but if we can learn from those mistakes or learn from others' mistakes, um, that's really important to me. Um, and just being able to translate that hands-on experience. One thing I saw, there's a difference in generation, like communication wasn't as good um, from some younger staff and, um, people that I like immersion students that I had and things like that. So it's really important to me to, to show them that, like show them how to communicate with physicians, how to communicate with other members of the sports medicine staff, um, how to communicate with coaches. So those are kind of the things that I focus on now. Um, but it's just so important for me to take my clinical experience and fully embed it in the classroom. You know, we have to teach standards. We have to teach from the book. You have to make sure that they pass their board of certification exam, but it's so important to go beyond that for me and really embed that um, clinical experience I have into the everyday classroom. Yeah. You're trying, you're trying to pass on as much information that you can, that you've learned. And like you said, we, we want them to make mistakes at times because they're going to have to be in positions where they're, they're going to have to learn from the mistakes. Like we can't put them in a position where they feel like they're going to be perfect all the time. Cause that's not possible, <laughs> even though some, some may have, have that mentality. Um, but I think it's, it's obviously really great what you're doing there. Um, the fact that we can be able to give back more. I mean, even, even like myself, when I was at my last conference, like I felt like I had this kind of in between where I was able to, have these high level discussions with other practitioners in the field, but there's also students or like intro level dietitians that were coming in the field where now like I'm starting to pass down some of the information I was able to learn. So then hopefully their process is a little more efficient or there's lots of programs and, and opportunities out there that many people don't know, depending on the country that they're in, depending on the professors or the staff that they work under. So it's just sharing those ideas, sharing those opportunities. And hopefully that gives them a, a little bit more of a leg up, um, or a little bit better opportunity. So they don't have to, I don't want to say quote unquote struggle as much, but kind of make it more of a, a streamlined process rather than not knowing what the direction is. Cause I mean, sound like you've had a little bit of that. I had a little bit of that myself. You know, it's like, I came from a background where I was the second person in my family to go to college and there was no one really telling me where to go, what to do, what site to click on and kind of what the path was. Um, so I had to ask a lot of questions, communicate a lot, 
And that's kind of what we're being able to give back now to them so they can do that on their end too. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's, yeah. And, you know, as you go through it, um, like you said, just passing that knowledge down. Um, And two, for me, it's like moments like this and going to different conferences, like you said, and seeing, I get to advocate for a profession that I love, you know, you, you know, when you asked who I am, athletic training is at the core of that and uh being able to continually every day like try and work to advance the profession and make it better on the uh the future practitioners it's just i mean it's awesome it's a lot of fun and it's a good feeling i think that's the most probably gratifying thing is when you have let's say in our case an athlete come back or in your case now you have a student come back and they're like this made a huge difference or this got me there or what you said five years ago got me onto this path. And, I, and it's like, those are the, the little wins for us where the years of, of struggle and, and constantly trying to get points across to people. Like you're like, all right, they got it. They understood. Like I, yeah. I did do something in that moment for that person that made them make a decision that now ended up pushing them in a direction where now they're going to be successful in their path. And that's, yeah that's the best thing you can ask of anyone that's trying to educate from an athlete perspective or a student perspective. Yeah. And I'm in a really cool situation right now where one of my former athletes is now my student. Um, that nuts. <laughs> but it's really cool, man. Cause I mean, you know, she told me, you know, seeing my love for it every day helped mm-hmm. her as an athlete, but also made her want to do this. Um, so like I got to, to treat her and, um, help her through a lot of really hard times as an athlete when I was her athletic trainer. And then now I'm able to help her like grow as a professional and see her, you know, taking those steps. And I mean, that's a really cool situation. It's just crazy how it comes full circle. Yeah. But Corbett really appreciate you coming on lots of awesome nuggets for anyone that's an athletic trainer and listening to this, or just anyone in general in an athletic department that's trying to get more of an understanding of what your athletic trainer does go ask them questions like have an organic conversation like this because the better you get to know the person behind the name of the credentials the better you'll have the better interdisciplinary team you're going to essentially have to be able to essentially what we all want to do is serve the athlete Um, so corbett's um, contact information his bio all that i'll include obviously in the show notes Um, so if you want to contact him through those different paths you'll be able to Um, all my information on there as well Again, I like to want to try to get as many practitioners as we can to continue this on. Uh, but Corbett, really thank, appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. It was a lot of fun.